What's going on guys? Sam Adams here and welcome to a brand new episode of Caffeinate today for March the 19th of 2019. My name is Samuel Adams and welcome to today's show. I do hope that this one does find you well and today we have a slew of news to get through but before we jump into that for those that are brand new to the program this is a daily gaming news podcast that I host live on twitch.tv slash the Samuel Adams every single weekday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern Time if you did want to catch up on the hottest gaming news from the day. Now today we are going to be talking primarily about Call of Duty Mobile, which is something that's somewhat breaking news because it was originally announced for China, but now it is going to be getting a Western release. So we'll talk more about what has been confirmed through the brief roughly 30 second trailer, a little bit less than a minute. Uh, but on top of that, we're going to be talking about the Atari VCS, which gets a spec boost and another delay. Uh, still a project that I have little to no faith in. In addition to that, we're going to be talking about the situation surrounding the Axiom Verge producer filing a suit against Badland Publishing for $200,000. Now, this is something that I believe has been going on for a while, but it's something that I'm just now hearing about, so I thought we would talk about that on today's program for just a minute. A very interesting story to go ahead and discuss today. The Culling is going to be shutting down its servers on May the 15th after a botched uh, number one sequel and number two relaunch of the original game. That was a bad situation and of course for those that are into the battle royales, the Apex Legends Battle Pass is officially coming very soon in fact so we'll talk more about when you can get that. By the way, it's today and it's also relatively affordable. But we'll jump into all of that right now and of course if you are brand new Again, I do hope you enjoy the show, but without further ado, let's go ahead and talk about this Call of Duty Mobile. Because according to Engadget and other sources, Call of Duty Mobile beta opens soon with classic maps and gameplay. You can play on Nuketown from anywhere. Late last year, Tencent and Activision started testing an Android mobile version of Call of Duty, and today at GDC announced that the game will start a beta test soon that's available in regions including Europe as well as North and South America. Call of Duty Mobile maintains the look and feel of the game's performance, at least on Xbox 360 and PS3 era hardware, plus it promises familiar maps from previous entries like Black Ops and Modern Warfare. The mobile version is a free-to-play title focused on competitive multiplayer matches in modes like Search and Destroy, Team Deathmatch, and Free-for-All. There is no word on exactly when the beta test will start on both iOS and Android, but interested players can sign up for access on the official site and check out a brief trailer. Now, I will admit that, of course, whenever you're talking about the graphics, it's not going to be looking nearly as good as what you expect from Call of Duty today on PlayStation 4, Xbox One, PC, etc. With that being said, in comparison, as the article does say, to PlayStation 3 slash Xbox 360 era hardware, uh, it's a very impressive rundown of classic Call of Duty. It really does resemble what I remember it looking like growing up. Now, of course, again, like I said, textures, a little bit lackluster, that being said. Uh, but weirdly enough, it includes stuff from Black Ops and Modern Warfare. I didn't know how all of that would work because, of course, Modern Warfare, primarily Infinity Ward affiliated on top of that, Treyarch is mainly the, you know, Black Ops kind of company. So I didn't know how all of that would work with rights. Uh, but, of course, it does look like, according to the trailer, you could be seeing stuff like zombies. You could be seeing stuff like Blackout, a Battle Royale mode coming to the, uh, the mobile version of Call of Duty. And, again, all this for free 
hypothetically. Of course, we all know Activision, there are going to be microtransactions that riddle this game shortly after launch, without a doubt. But if they keep it to skins, if they keep it to stuff along those lines where it is just a cosmetic improvement, I don't really see a problem in that. Uh, but it's a very interesting move to make this available here in the States. And I think that what that shows is the power and the role that mobile gaming is beginning to fill as time goes on. Because traditionally, Mobile gaming has been affiliated with the uh, more entry-level style gameplay games, so to speak. You know, your Candy Crush, for example, is a huge mobile title and will forever be a huge mobile title because that Match 3 kind of game just works on mobile and it works on touchscreens. But with stuff like Fortnite coming in and changing up the game to where mobile is a big part of Fortnite's community, of course, not the professional community, but nonetheless a big part of the community, uh, you begin to see these companies take note and say, hey, we could violate make a Call of Duty on mobile because number one the hardware is there and number two the people actually want to play stuff on mobile these days because it's just convenient and of course there are many people that stream stuff from their mobile on places like Facebook and Mixer and all that good stuff so it's a big part of the gaming community and an increasingly important one uh, at that so very interesting to see that you have all these iconic maps I know that I paused the trailer at some point and I saw uh, soap running through Nuketown that was just strange. So you're going to be seeing a blend of Modern Warfare, of Black Ops, of stuff along these lines. But overwhelmingly, more than anything else, what seeing this trailer brings in my heart is a strong desire for a Call of Duty greatest hits of some kind to finally be released on consoles where you do have a blend, a mashup of the most iconic maps, the most iconic weapons, the most iconic stories within the entire Call of Duty franchise all together on one disc. That is something that needs to happen. Even if you take out the campaigns entirely, if you leave out zombies and any kind of battle royale, if you just create a multiplayer centric greatest hits Call of Duty experience, I would be all over that. As somebody who grew up on Call of Duty, I would love a genuinely true representation of the games that I grew up with. Uh, but with that being said, and again, to the side as a dream that will never absolutely ever happen, uh, this looks like it's a pretty good little, uh, little free-to-play mobile title, a mobile Call of Duty experience coming soon. Uh, so again, if you did want to check out the uh, the sign-up page, it's available via the link in the article, which I have linked down below the YouTube video. If you did want to check that out and learn more about what you could be doing within Call of Duty Mobile relatively soon. Uh, big potential for this one, of course, it will definitely make some money because people love Call of Duty. Even in today's day and age, people still love Call of Duty. Now, with that being said, let's move on to something that people don't love yet. It has potential. Atari VCS gets a spec boost and another delay. The retro-styled console will arrive in late 2019. Maybe. I would say probably not, but we'll see what happens. And of course, there is a picture of the aforementioned Atari VCS. A very interesting modern slash retro looking console that has... An interesting thing going forward without a doubt. The nostalgic Atari VCS console has been delayed yet again, but at least this time you're getting more for your money. The creators have pushed back the system's launch to the end of 2019 and returned for an upgrade as to an yet unannounced embedded AMD Ryzen chip, complete with Vega-based graphics. It'll offer more power for games, of course, but it will also pull off feats you might not expect in a retro box, like native 4K video playback and support for protective streaming video services like Netflix. The team acknowledged that this isn't great news for Indiegogo backers, who have already been waiting several months for the VCS, but maintain that it should lead to better overall performance and a cooler and quieter machine without significant disruptions to manufacturing. 
While this suggests you won't be complaining too loudly about performance, it could still leave you frustrated. The team first vowed to ship a system in 2018, but it won't show up until a year later. And however capable the hardware might be, the VCS will still depend heavily on software support. Developers will have to produce compelling titles optimized for the VCS, and you won't know how that shakes out until sometime in the months ahead, assuming that there is not another delay. Again, for those that don't know, uh, this is one of the strangest stories that I've been reporting on since starting this podcast, because the Atari VCS is essentially Atari, a retro company trying to break into a market that is so heavily dominated by Xbox and PlayStation and Nintendo, and they have potential, but I just don't see it happening, especially with a console designed like this that has little to no uh, confidence whenever it comes to the public perception of it. People just don't have confidence in the Atari VCS at the moment. And again, why should they? When showing the console off, I believe it was roughly about six months ago, they didn't even bring a genuine console or a controller to the show. I can't remember which show it was, uh, but they brought a controller that was literally a piece of molded plastic. It had nothing in it. Like, there was no meat to it. There, it was just a model. They just, like, 3D printed a controller and, and said, hey, here's our controller. That's not how this works. If you want people to be confident in your product, if you want people to back your product early on, you have to have a product to back, okay? On top of this, uh, the other thing that really bothers me about the Atari VCS is the fact that we are on the cusp of a brand new console generation from PlayStation and Xbox. So whenever you take that in consideration, even if hypothetically the Atari VCS is on par with something even like an Xbox One X, which is in and of itself a stretch goal for the Atari VCS, uh, you are going to be seeing it be quickly, very, very quickly uh, outdone by the competition. And so will this ever actually have a spot in somebody's home theater system likely not but what i would love to see is for atari to scrap this modern uh forward thinking kind of approach and keep the look of the console because that looks great keep a modern controller but throw yourself and embrace it that you are a retro company throw it in to the hat or throw your hat in the ring in the retro market and say hey we are now creating a console developing specifically retro games and in fact uh, you could actually take it a step further and take stuff uh, like the messenger for instance like uh, Celeste like Axiom Verge that feel like retro games and embrace those indies and bring them onto your platform and create instead of a direct competition with Microsoft and PlayStation uh, instead create something that is made for indies for retro titles for that specific market because that's a huge part of where gamers are today I think that's a big thing uh, that's going on in 2019 and beyond uh, but I digress those are just my thoughts on the Atari VCS it's something that is I think misguided it's something that I think had potential but just is misplaced. Uh, so with that being said, we will see what happens hypothetically arriving in late 2019 with a big boost uh, to the performance overall. Will people support it? Will companies support it? Is yet to be seen, but I will let you guys know whenever we do finally get the console, whether it be 2019, 2020, or never. Because you never know. Moving on to the next story of the day. This one's a doozy, so go grab some popcorn, a cup of coffee, whatever you might need, and we will dive into this. Pause. Did you get it? Good, let's resume. Axiom Verge producer files suit against Badland Publishing for $200,000. Dan Adelman alleges publisher hasn't paid the share of European distribution earnings flaked on promise of healthcare fund for developer's ill son. 
Yeah, that last part of that sentence is actually a thing. So this is the original story. Following the news that a physical edition of Axiom Verge on the Wii U is launching at last after a two-year-long falling out between distributor Limited Run Games and once-publisher Badland Publishing, producer Dan Adelman says he is in a legal battle of his own with the latter. In a Twitter thread, Adelman relates his portion of the events that led to Axiom Verge's release later this month. According to him, Badland Games originally secured the contract to publish the game with a generous offer. Badland would match that what other publishers were offering and also promised to contribute 75% of the their own sales cut to a medical expenses fund for solo developer Thomas Hap's son, Alistair, who suffers from a neurological disorder called Kernicterus. Never heard of that, not a doctor, but hey, it sounds really serious. Uh, when the time came to produce the disc and cartridges for the various North American platform releases of the game, Badland kept stalling, according to Adelman. Ultimately, Hap ended up funding the manufacturer of the game's North American retail copies, terminating Badland's distribution rights for the territory, and agreeing to compensate the publisher for the work it had already put in to the regional release. Axiom Verge ended up effectively self-published in North America, although Adelman says they remained quiet about the issue under the assumption that Badland was still operating in good faith. As for Europe, Adelman says Badland maintained publishing rights and funded the game's production. But when asked to help pay Hap's portion of the sales and money owed for Alistair Hap's fund, Badland stopped communicating. Speaking to GamesIndustry.biz, Edelman says he and Hap have since filed a lawsuit against Badland for $200,000, but that they don't actually know exactly how much Badland owes them between the sales portion and Alistair Hap's money. The $200,000 is an estimate, and they have also requested to inspect Badland's records to see if the amount is larger. Adelman has declined to comment for further on the status of the lawsuit, not wanting to jeopardize the case. Quote, it's frustrating to see Badland Publishing tweet about new games they're releasing, no doubt funded with the money they owe LRG and Tom Happ. Adelman's tweets thread includes Badland er, concludes Badland has literally stolen money from a disabled toddler. Previously, Badland Publishing said that it had settled 90% of the debts it owed to Badland Games prior to the latter company's dissolution uh, in late 2018. Limited Run is currently suing the publisher for $78,000 after it failed to deliver 6,000 physical copies of Axiom Verge on the Wii U. Upon reaching out to Badland Publishing for comment, CEO Louis Quintus Quintons, the CEO of the company confirmed Adelman's account of the story and said he was aware of the lawsuit. He went on to say that Badland had offered a soft repayment plan similar to what it had offered Limited Run, but that his proposal had not been accepted. Everybody wanted to recover the money at the same time, he said, but it was impossible for us in that moment. When asked, he also reaffirmed the company had paid off 90% of what it owed at Badland Games, and that the 78000 owed to Limited Run and the money owed to Hap were included in the remaining 10%. So now an update as of March 18, 2019. Quintins posted a statement on his Twitter account over the weekend in response to this story and the above-linked story about Badlands dealings with limited-run games. Quote, I understand that, due to the extreme situation we were going through, our way of doing things has not been ideal and I am sorry for the damages this has caused to the parties involved. But I want to reiterate that I am still willing to reach out and assume the payment of the debt, which I have never refused to avoid further damage to companies and people involved in this situation, he said. He added that, due to the seriousness of some of the accusations that have been made in relation to this issue, you, I have been forced to put this matter in the hands of my lawyers who reserve the right to take legal action against anyone who might make public inaccurate or false information harmful to the interest of the company in which I now work, Badland Publishing, or my own. And so, uh, this is a very deep, intricate story uh, that involves a lot of money being owed to a lot of different people. Uh, but when it comes down to it, 
It all depends on what has been signed. I think that whenever any kind of publisher, developer, anybody in the gaming industry goes into the production of a game, you have to sign a contract and you have to you know, be binded by that contract. That's how this works. And so when it comes down to it, these lawyers need to sit down at a table as they will, deliberate the contract that was signed to see who owes what. You know, you need to be able to see what is that what was agreed upon and i think that's been lost in translation uh, and i think that's something that should be revisited at the end of the day money is owed and somebody is going to pay but i wanted to let you guys know that this is exactly what's happening over there and of course as the uh the tweets do say it would be incredibly frustrating to see badland publishing pushing out these new games and promoting these new games knowing that they may in fact be using money that should be given to the people that have been owed money as of right now uh, but with that being said interesting story thought i would include it uh, especially since it has been updated with a quote from the uh the boss of the publishing company himself but i'll let you guys know how all of this concludes as time does go on uh, now with that being said let's go ahead and talk about the culling because the culling is shutting down. The culling shuts down the servers on May 15th. Despite being one of the first battle royale on the block, even going free to play hasn't been enough to save the culling. Developers Xavient have announced that the lights go out on their dystopian game show themed survival shooter on May the 15th. It has been a rough year for the studio, with the culling to announce, released, and shut down due to lack of player interest within a three month span. Pause. Back up. Let's rephrase. With the culling to announced, released, and shut down due to mark through lack of player interest, it being a terrible game inserted in its place within a three month span, the game was bad. The game was not the culling. I have a video on this on the channel if you want to check it out. They were hoping to relaunch the original game as a free to play and have future development supported through in app purchases. Sadly, it just didn't work out that way. While Xaviant are unable to further support the culling in their shutdown announcement, they do mention that they'd be interested in passing the game onto another team. Even if it was adopted by fans, I'm always happy to see a game saved from complete oblivion considering the countless hours of effort that went into producing the game. That and game preservation being important. In most cases, such projects are unofficial and unsanctioned by the original developers or publishers. This could be one of the few cases where the game passes to a new crew amicably. And so, when the servers do go offline, the game's offline modes, including training with bots, will remain playable, but the multiplayer core will be no more. Xavier plan on shutting down the in-game store pages before that so as to prevent any grief that could arise from buying virtual clothes in a game where nobody will ever see them again. It's a shame to see the culling closing its doors as being one of the first experimental games in the genre. It had a feel all of its own and was much more heavily melee focused than its successors. It also had smaller match sizes, only 16 players per round. The culling 2 moved away from that and towards a more modern sandbox shooter style which may have contributed to its botched launch. The culling remains free to play for its twilight few weeks and you can find it here on Steam. Of course they link to it and the servers will remain available for just under two months finally going offline on May the 15th. Now of course uh, when it comes down to it the culling has been a game with a very rocky overall lifespan. Now towards the beginning of its life uh, it was a huge game especially on Twitch where you do have a ton of people that stream of course Battle Royale games. It was one of the first uh, that I know some people got a lot of notoriety from. I mean there were some people that genuinely built up their streaming communities based off of the culling but the culling too completely ruined uh, the overall reputation of the game and of course that's my own perception uh, but essentially where the original game was heavily melee focused where you did have this entire different mechanic going 
going on. The Culling 2 was pretty much a generic battle royale that had no soul to it. There was nothing there that really showed that there was anything new being brought to the table aside from trying to create a hopefully popular battle royale and so whenever you don't put any passion into a game whenever you can tell that something has been pretty much canned uh, in an attempt to create something of a success that's whenever you begin to get a lot of player feedback that is relatively negative as we saw on steam after the culling 2 launched now with the culling uh, origin specifically as it was rebranded that's whenever you began to see hopefully some kind of comeback but of course with so many battle royales on the market with so much uh you know so many new ideas coming about in 2019 and beyond the idea of playing a game that had essentially been on the market for years that had not really evolved well with time that just was not something that people were going to be getting behind and so now we see where it has ended up uh, but with that being said if you are a fan of the culling which i know there are many out there you might want to get in and get a couple of games in because the cool thing about a game shutting down if there's any cool thing is that people all of a sudden feel an urge to play a game before they can't play it anymore and so if you are a fan this is probably going to be the most populated the servers have been in a very long time so uh, you can dive in and give it a shot again it's free to play so what do you have to lose definitely though would not recommend getting any kind of uh, in-game cosmetics and whatnot but nonetheless, we will see what happens uh, with the company behind the scenes because there's a lot of potential here. I mean, the culling was very popular, just it doesn't have a spot in 2019 and beyond. But with that being said, let's talk about a battle royale that does have a spot, Apex Legends, because the battle pass release date and details have been confirmed and it's dropping today. So jump in and give it a shot. EA and Respawn Entertainment have announced that the Apex Legends Season 1 Wild Frontier Battle Pass will become available today, March the 19th, for 950 Apex coins or $9.50 US. Announced and detailed on the official Apex Legends webpage, every level gained during Season 1 unlocks a Battle Pass reward, and there are over 100 that can be earned throughout the season. This includes weapon skins, banner frames, XP boost, and more. Players will also receive three Wild Frontier themed Legend skins immediately when they purchase the pass. These are the Lifeline Revolutionary, Wraith Survivor, and Mirage Outlaw skins. Fans can also buy the Battle Pass Bundle, which unlocks the next 25 Battle Pass levels and their respective rewards automatically for 2,800 Apex coins or 28 bucks. The Battle Pass is scheduled to drop at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, which would theoretically drop it at 1 p.m. Eastern Time uh, if you did want to dive in. But the new Legend Octane was detailed on the PlayStation blog. After blowing off his legs in a gauntlet speedrun, Octavio Octane Silva dives into Apex with metal legs, searching for the ultimate adrenaline rush using death-defying moves. His adrenaline junkie ability lets him trade health for speed, and his launchpad ultimate ability lets his squad fly through the air. And of course, PlayStation blog does confirm that Octane is playable today. Up right now, according to the sources. Respawn further detailed the Battle Pass, confirming it can only be purchased through the in-game store using Apex Coins from the Battle Pass tab. If players buy the Battle Pass late in the season, they will receive all the rewards up to the Battle Pass level, which is the current level for the season retroactively. The 25 automatic levels from the Battle Pass bundle will be stacked on top of this. It's a pretty cool little feature right there. 
Now, the rewards available in Season 1's Battle Pass can only be earned until the season is over, and after it ends, players can't earn new Wild Frontier content. For those who don't purchase the Battle Pass, they can still earn one Wild Frontier Legend skin, five Apex packs, and 18 Wild Frontier stat trackers for free. And so, if you did want to dive in and check out Apex Legends, of course it is free to play, but if you do want to give that 950 Apex coin purchase, uh, you can get the access to Season 1 Wild Frontier Battle Pass. Uh, but it looks like it's going to be a pretty good little run. I've seen mixed responses uh, to the quality of the skins of the Tier 100, uh, you know, uh, earnings and whatnot, but overall, it's cool to see that there's finally something more to grind for. I think that's really what people want uh, because whenever you see the Battle Pass coming around in Fortnite, which is pretty much the first one that really introduced it uh, with a lot of public eyes on it, um, you, you do have something that really drives you to continue to play the game because you want to get to that tier 100. It's kind of like whenever you are playing Call of Duty way, way back in the day and you grind until you get all of the stuff unlocked and you can then prestige and start over. That's pretty much the idea of a battle pass in today's day and age. Of course, I'm a big fan of them because if it is a free-to-play game, you can give 10 bucks, which is relatively affordable in the grand scheme of things, and you can get more for your money, which again, free-to-play, 10 bucks. I've put 50 hours into... Apex Legends without even buying anything, so I might as well give them 10 bucks. Uh, but with that being said, you can dive in and check out all of the skins, all of the weapon skins, all of the banners, and all of that good stuff included with the Battle Pass. But with that being said, that wraps up today's episode of Caffeinate. If you did enjoy today's show, be sure to drop me a like down below. And of course, if you are brand new to the program, it's hosted live on twitch.tv slash the Samuel Adams five days a week, Monday through Friday at 7 a.m. Eastern time if you did want to check it out. And it's always a good time, and I always keep you guys informed. But until tomorrow, you have a fantastic rest of the day. I will talk to you soon, and peace.